Well, dear students, it's time to discuss scandal number one, culture of consumption scandal number one, and that is cars. You know, if you already are very happy with your car, don't really want to hear any advice from a screwball professor who thinks that cars are killing us with kindness, <laughs> making sure we don't get enough exercise, costing us way too much, then you know what? You might want to skip this entire lecture. However, I do have a few insights that may help you because the truth is for the vast majority of us, the car is our second largest item on our cash flow statement, housing being usually the first. So there are some financial issues that we may be able to help you with, I hope. But also, I like to throw some ideas and some concepts and some numbers at you for over the next few slides and just to help you think about the car so that the next time you're tempted to get in a car and drive a mile, you might just get up and walk it. <laughs> and we start off with a link to a very, very uh, powerful uh, advertisement. The uh, the 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 uh, smallest state in our in Australia had the largest number per capita of deaths from vehicle accidents. Uh, a lot of driving while under the influence. And so they started a public education campaign. It was 1989. And by 2009, right, they had, uh, they had really brought down the numbers. It's hard to watch. It's very hard to watch. So the, you decide whether you want to click on that YouTube. But they have many others. They have many, many others. The, uh, it's uh, called Tech. Tech. To transit accident something authority pretty cool uh check it but remember it's, pr it's pretty graphic it's pretty graphic a lot of sadness so let's start on slide 45 with buying and operating motor vehicles which is the appendix to chapter six in your book but i would have named the title you are not what you drive because most people they you know that's their it's their culture it's their way of expressing themselves. Um, and people can often say, we can tell a lot about a person from what kind of vehicle they drive. And I, I guess that's true, yeah. So let's take a look at some statistics here. Percentages of short motor vehicle trips. Almost 50%, half of motor vehicle trips are three miles or less. You know, folks, sometimes I, I don't do it anymore because now I'm all online, but I used to ride my bike to work and it was 20 miles from Ocean Beach to Southwestern College. That was a long time ago. I'm a lot older now. <laughs> but people would be so amazed and they'd say, well, I could never ride my bike to work. So how far is it? It's about three miles. I said, you go walk to work. How long does it take you to walk three miles? 45, 50 minutes, less than an hour? And if you did that two or three times a week, you'd be getting plenty of cardiovascular exercise. So think about it, because 40% are two miles or less. And more than a quarter, one mile or less, it takes 15 minutes, 20 minutes, if you're walking slowly, to walk a mile. And it's great exercise. 
And the average American uses as much energy as three Japanese, 13 Chinese, 153 Bangladeshis, and 499 Ethiopians. Plus, we drive too fast. The freeways are set at 65 miles an hour, even though that's good when the freeway's not too uh, crowded. But they're always crowded, so I'm scared to death when people are trying to go as fast as they can with all the traffic, especially when you go through that S-curve downtown San Diego. And Oh, boy. But look. Look, look, look. Gas mileage usually decreases rapidly at speeds above 50 miles an hour because once you've gotten above that 50 miles an hour, mostly what you're doing is pushing the air out of the way. So for every five miles an hour you drive over 50, 50 miles an hour, it's like paying an additional 15 cents per gallon for gas. All right, so if you typically drive at 70, like a lot of people do, you're paying an extra 60 cents a gallon. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Would you slow down? No way. Anyway, saw <laughs> number 47. What's the societal cost of gas? Well, for every one gallon of gasoline you burn, that's about seven pounds of gasoline. How much carbon dioxide do you pump into the atmosphere? Hmm? Is it seven pounds, 15, 20 pounds, or 125 pounds? Well, wait a minute. Wouldn't it be seven? No, it doesn't work that way. Here's the chemical formula, and it's not balanced. I balanced it once a long, long time ago. Go talk to your chemistry professor. We take octane, hydrocarbon, C8H12. That's that's what that's the formula for octane for gasoline. And we add oxygen to it, and poof, it explodes. And then we wind up with water. <laughs> that's right. If you look at the tailpipe of a car that just started out, water will come back after the engine heats up. It's all steam and carbon dioxide. Very simple formula, folks. This is what we're doing. Every gallon of gasoline you burn puts pumps 20 pounds. Now, why is it 20 pounds? Because the hydrogen is a whole lot less, weighs a whole lot less than the oxygen. Right. As <laughs> The oxygen is 16 times each oxygen atom. Go talk to your chemistry professor. Uh, so how much oil do we import? This is a real tricky good question, folks, because just the two decades ago, it was D. You know, over a decade or so ago, it was D. But we had, the United States now is the largest producer of oil because of the technologies that we produced, which has, I don't know if you follow the geopolitics of oil, pissed off royally the Russians and the, and the Saudis. So uh, we now import very little of our oil. But for a for since the, the, the late 1970s up until the well, almost for more than two decades, more than two decades, it was about 60 percent of our, our, our production. It shows you how powerful our country is once we put our mind to something. So we're importing far less oil. And how much per person per year do we spend on that imported oil? Well, it's really a lot less, right? Because uh, because we now are using far less. But um, in the summer of 2008, it was D. In the summer of 2008, when we still imported about 66%, and the price of gas hit $147 a barrel, each of us was spending over $2,000. And then just five years ago, six years ago, we were spending 800. That is the revolution that we've done over the last 10, 12 years. Amazing what we've done. Cool? So let's see, $36.50 by 330 million people is approximately $12 billion. Look at the difference. And that, and D, in the 2008, summer 2008, when it spiked, 
six we didn't actually do that much because it didn't last that long it started dropping as the great recession hit but yes this is one of the reasons the dollar has been so strong over the last decade because we're not sending so much petrodollars outside the country very very interesting phenomenon especially if you're interested in industry and how energy is used it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a whole world into itself folks and there's there are jobs in that industry people need fuel <laughs> we're using less and less per capita but we're still using it so this is your money going to foreign oil producing countries like saudi arabia who the folks were really brought you 9 11 it wasn't iraq don't tell your republican friends how many barrels of oil do we use does each person consume each of us consumes a little over 22 barrels of oil that's each man woman and child in the united states now much of that is for transportation cars but a lot of it is for agriculture and materials and, and other manufacturing processes so it's it's per person but some people <laughs> use a whole lot more than others so look at what happened back in 1970 back in 1970 we we did um 26 barrels a person and the peak was 1978 when everybody drove around in their in their in their living rooms right these big gold cars uh 31 barrels per person and then 1979 the first gas the second gas crisis hit and prices went over a dollar for a gallon of gas i know it's hard for you guys to believe that but it, that's when it happened and there was a massive shortage and look at what we did in five short years we got serious we got serious and we reduced our our usage per capita from 31 down to a little over little less than 24. but then as gas became cheap again and went down to a dollar people said oh my god gas is a dollar and then you know six, six seven eight years later said oh my goodness gas is a dollar <laughs> went down to a dollar we started driving around our living rooms again minivans and sport utility barges and then 2008 when gas rose over 450 a gallon suv sales plummeted people drove less and the great recession hit and now the SUVs are still very popular, but they're not the same SUVs that they were, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. They're far more fuel efficient. They're far, they're not quite as big as they used to be. So we are using, a, um, as we said, about 22 barrels a person per day, per, not per day, per year. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get serious now. What amazes me is, uh, you know, people keep talking about electric cars and, and it was just people like me who worried about the environment, worried about who were interested in electric cars. But no, Tesla comes around and says, you know, you, we, you, you're going to buy an electric car because it is going to be the best car out there and the most fastest and, and coolest car. And the guy's a genius. He was right. People who normally would be spending $80,000 on a Mercedes-Benz or a BMW or an Audi or something like that, they're buying a Tesla. And that's going to reduce our usage of oil. Over, it's going to take a while because there'll be other com other companies that are jumping into the mix of electric cars. But that should reduce our, our oil consumption even more, which is cool. This is very good. So, okay, let's talk about cars, right? Again, this is something so personal. Do you want a new car? Do you want a used car? What are the what are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? Well, we try to get the students talking about that, and that's what you're going to do in the in the um, 
in the discussion forum. Do you prefer a new card? Do you like an old car? What are the pros and cons? Well, you can figure it out, right? News car, new car is going to go big more expensive. There's no doubt about that, and we'll see why. New cars are, are outrageously expensive compared to a three or five year old used car. But of course, what kind of warranty, warranty do you get with a used car? Not very much. Um, However, we're going to look at reliability statistics. Well, we're not going to look at it in this class because I can't really post the, uh, the what I do is I, in the face-to-face -face class, I bring in the uh, consumer reports. They're, it's the April issue every year that shows the reliability statistics and the, and the yearly buying guide shows the reliability statistics. And it's, a, it's an eye-opener, folks, especially if you've never thought about reliability when it comes to cars. And so my preference, I'll tell you right off the bat, is to buy a used car that's about, you know, three, four, five, maybe eight years old, depending on the reliability. And uh, we'll see why as we go along. So let's take a look at buying a used vehicle. Where are the sources? Well, new car dealers, careful, sometimes make more money off their used cars than their new cars. They tend to, yes, they tend to jack up the prices of the used cars. Used car dealers have a very bad reputation, but, you know, you don't know who you're dealing with. When you deal with a private party, you have no recourse whatsoever. So again, my advice is to go to Consumer Reports, check their yearly buying guide, their April issue, because you know you are definitely buying a used vehicle. You might want to uh, get a, a mechanic to take a look at it. Now, it's, it's on the next slide. But, uh, but for me, the most important thing about a car is reliability, and economy but that's me other people does something completely they don't care about that i want something fast i want something flashy i want something luxurious i want something huge every six months we 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 uh, take the boat down to the river in colorado why don't you just rent one? Oh, that's a good idea okay rent rent a, a large vehicle to bring it down there didn't think of that <laughs> they only use it once or twice a year the rest of the year they're driving around in their sport utility land barge you sucking up gas, but they don't use as much gas as they used to, so I apologize. I just ramble. Inspecting a used car. Again, find an honest mechanic, pay for an inspection. Carfax is supposed to tell you whether or not it's a salvage vehicle or not. The the um, history of some of the cars that have gone through floods and other disasters, they, 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 they do their best to hide the fact that the that the vehicle has been salvaged. So be very careful. But find an honest mechanic, pay for an inspection, it's worth it. Especially if you're buying something that's you know, like three or four years old. And if it's something that's eight, 10, 12 years old, well, you know things are gonna go wrong, oh well. <laughs> so where do you get the information? Well, I like Craigslist, that's my personal favorite. Uh, but then there's Edmunds and Nada and Kelly Blue Book. I think Kelly Blue Book is way overpriced. I, I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't looked at a car looked for buying a car for several years now, but when I would ever take a look at Kelly Blue Book and then go look at Craigslist, I say, wait a minute, I think Kelly Blue Book is for the uh, for the used car dealers. So um, yeah, Craigslist is my favorite. But I also have a friend who's a car enthusiast, and he has helped me choose cars. You know, he thinks I'm a little too. He likes something really flashy and, and really luxurious and that, and he, but he's helped me. So, because I'm, I'm not a big car fan. I don't really like cars, and which is why I really shouldn't be, I shouldn't be getting somebody else to give you this, get somebody who really likes cars giving this presentation because I like cars 
just for one thing get me to point a and b and back again i had my toy 1983 toyota tucson for two decades and i loved that vehicle and i didn't want to sell it and it looked like a it got hit i don't know why people just kept hitting my car in the parking lot and the, even i was in a car wash and the guy how are you supposed to you're not supposed to drive your vehicle through the car wash he did and he hit the back of my <laughs> so bizarre but hey that's me you know that's me you are you so you decide okay so where are we are we i digress so we're ready for a new vehicle here is the kicker, folks. New vehicles average over $30,000. There are some entities that say it's even more, like 37000 I don't think that's right. But the, the car companies know they have to sway you with internet ac interaction and advertising. But you remember what advertising is there for, right? <laughs> you can keep the car. I'll take the bubble-headed bleach blonde with the... <laughs> they try to sell you sex with vehicles. Some of them are doing a little bit more now. Now they're they're trying to sell you with an experience. It's a different experience. But, but don't be swayed. Check consumer reports for reliability. And remember that as soon as you drive it off the lot, 20% gone. Boosh! Boosh! That $30,000, as soon as you drive it off the lot, you may be able to sell it for $24,000, $25,000. Why? Because now it's a used car. So remember that. We're going to see, we're going to, we're going to do a little exercise. Um, how much does each individual part of a car cost? Gasoline, financing, insurance, and, and, uh, and depreciation. And you're going to see that it's very expensive to buy a new car. So... Uh, the service contract, hmm, service contract. You know, unless the car you want has a less than stellar repair record, you absolutely have to have that vehicle that you know going into is not going to be very reliable. You you want to, don't want to fall for the service contract because it's really just it's just a pure profit for the for the businesses. It's an insurance policy, is what it is. And insurance companies are not stupid, as we'll see when we get to chapters eight, nine, and ten. They know what's going to go wrong. They know when it's going to go wrong statistically, and they uh, they they price accordingly. They they might even tell you the service contract is required by the lender or the leasing company. Why? Because again, it's pure profit. Because once they have the sale, they will put you in a little interrogation interrogation room with bright garish lights. A greasy little man with bad breath, bad teeth, and the smell of cheap cigars will then work you over trying to get you to agree to purchase a service contract, undercoating, upholstery spray, as well as a timeshare in Cancun. You tell them that if they try to put you in that little interrogation room, you will leave immediately without buying. And it works. I helped somebody buy a new car, I don't know, a few years ago. And she, you know, she did, she wanted me to come with her. I helped her and um, because, you know, I'm a bit of a negotiator. And I told the guy that. I said, if you try to sell us any of these ancillary things, if you try to put us in that nasty little room and, and, and hit us with a, with a hard sell, we will walk. And the guy goes, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And so that was a, that was a, uh, so be careful, be careful with the service contract. Now, what, how do you negotiate the price? Well, dealers are getting stickier and stickier. I don't blame them. They, they, they're, they're, they really, folks, the dealership is a hard business. It really is. You know, you're getting hit from both ends the, by the, by the car manufacturer and the customers. So some dealers now have set prices. They just say, that's our price. 
Some will let you go through a credit union. Credit unions have these, I think banks do, some of the banks have them, these auto buying services. And they will give you actually a pretty darn good deal. Now, there's no negotiation on your part. It's all on the credit union's part. And remember, credit unions love car loans. <laughs> That's where they're bread, bread, and buy, bread and butter. And as we'll see, we get to, um, to uh, financing. But online buying. Would you buy your vehicle online with ever having sit, sat in it and not even have to go to a dealership? They will drive it to your location? Mm -hmm. Well, if you know the reliability statistics, and the uh, and the uh, what the card's worth and yeah some people will send out quotes or requ requests for quotes to the various dealerships i'm looking for this vehicle uh, this is what i want in it uh, this is what i'm interested in paying and they'll contact you and say mm, okay maybe how about this and so would you do that there are ways that you can know the dealer's costs consumer reports edmunds kiplingers but the the truth is that's really not the dealer's cost because what happens at the end of the month, this is why you would not want to be a dealership, folks. It's very, very difficult. The factory says you must sell this many cars this month. And if you don't, you're not going to get your incentive check. So at the end of the month, that's they often say it's the best time to go searching for a vehicle because they're, they're scrambling to make their quota. And so the dealer actually gets a kickback that you know helps them with their bottom line. So they'll say, you know, we're only making $500 on this vehicle, well, not really. At the end of the month, assuming they get their, their incentive, they're gonna get more for that vehicle. They're gonna get more dollars from that vehicle. So, but just know that, you know, these are people too. And um, negotiation, you know, your, your, your biggest negotiation tool is just your two feet. <laughs> you just walk away. And then, you know, things have a, have a real interesting way of changing very quickly when you start walking away. Okay, where are we? Come on, sweetheart, come on. Okay, now financing, as we said, Credit unions, credit unions, credit unions, uh, this is their bread and butter. No banks, finance companies, dealer financing. Dealer financing is really not the dealer. They just, they, they represent somebody else. Usually they'll represent their credit source, such as Ford, Ford Motor Credit Corporation or GMAC, companies that General Motors, their own, they have their own uh, financing company. But they could go with anybody, any bank. And so get pre-approved many lenders especially the credit unions will pre-approve you they'll tell you this is how much we'll approve you for this is what your costs are going to be and so you know going in upside down equity which is kind of a silly name means that your car is worth less than what you still owe on the car another another name is negative equity and so what does that mean remember you bought a thirty thousand dollar car Maybe you put down $3,000 and now you owe $27,000 on it. But the car is only worth $24,000, which means if you drive it off the lot and get in an accident, the insurance company is going to pay you $24,000 and you're owed $27,000, <laughs> which is why most insurance companies now offer what is called gap insurance. And we'll discuss this in chapter eight in more detail. It basically says, look, you know, will even though the car is only worth twenty-four thousand, you still owe twenty-seven thousand on it. Will make up the difference. Guaranteed asset protection, I think, is what it stands for. So, so 
of course, in my humble opinion, the best way to buy a car is cash, which means you're probably not going to buy a new car for $30,000, but that's your decision. It's you, not me. I wouldn't do it, but you could certainly do it. But remember the credit unions. Now, come on. Why aren't you? There we go. Now, leasing. Leasing is just a fancy word for renting a car. And the advantages are that typically you'll have smaller cash flow, lower monthly payments, detailed records for businesses. And this is fine for some people, but the disadvantages are tough, folks. There's, it's going to cost you far more over the life of your vehicle buying uh, uh, career if you lease a vehicle. Uh, and if you use it for more than, usually they give you 10, 12,000 miles a year. If you go over that, they're going to charge you <laughs> for every mile over the, the allowance they gave you. Plus, if you didn't keep it in good shape, they're going to charge you for excessive wear. You're almost always guaranteed to spend far more over the long term leasing rather than buying. So if you are the kind of person who has to have a new car every two or three years, then go ahead and lease because you're going to wind up spending a ton of money whether you lease or buy. At least you don't have to worry about getting rid of it because if you buy a new car, three years later you go to trade it in, they're not going to give you anywhere near what it's worth. You'd have to sell it in the private market, Craigslist, and you'll get more money, but boy, is that a hassle when dealing with people on Craigslist. Trust me, because <laughs> I've sold cars for people. Um, they know I like this. I've negotiating and I've done okay sometimes and sometimes it's been a little hairy, but um, but only lease, only lease if you're the kind of person who has no intention of keeping a car more than two or three years. Cool? But, ha ha ha, the, <laughs> the large number of leases creates an excellent buying opportunity for used car buyers. Right, so so three years ago, somebody leased a $45,000 sport utility tank, um, a Lincoln Aggravator, Navigator, Navigator, whatever, you know, $45,000, beautiful vehicle, luxurious, huge. And after three years, they want to turn it back in. The lease and value might be $32,000. That's in the contract. You could buy it from them for $32,000. But most people at least don't want to do that. They, that's why they lease. So the leasee politely says, no, thanks. Here's the keys. It's your car. Now the leasing company is in trouble, right? They can't sell it for $32,000. You know, maybe it's not as, uh, as, uh, as, as, as desirable as it was three years ago because that, that model is now old hat. And so you could pick it up for twenty grand or twenty-two thousand. You see how you can get a three-year-old vehicle that leased typically it's in very good shape for half what somebody paid new for it. That's the power of depreciation. But in my humble opinion, <laughs> be, buy a used reliable econo box for fifteen thousand dollars, maybe three years old or something like that. But that's not what people want. You know, I don't I want I don't want a kind of econo box. I want I want something big and beautiful. And you can get something big and beautiful, least three years old, because of the large number of leases. So, but now you own the vehicle and you drive it for another 10 years and it, and, and it goes from 20,000 down to like 4,000, but at least you didn't lose $25,000 just the first three years. So what kind of vehicle do our, 
what kind of vehicle should you have? Well, according to our authoritative and detailed scientific research, remember we're going to we're going to insult a lot of people in the last presentation, right? We have found that the larger the motor vehicle, the smaller the IQ of the driver. Um, the more fragile the ego of the driver, or is it B, the greater the sense of powerlessness within and anger toward the society around them, or D, is it this more microscopic, the reproductive organ? Oh my goodness, <laughs> it's all of the above. No, no, of course it's all of the above. My sincerest apologies to those of you who own a Ford Extinction. I'm sorry, Ford Extraction. A Ford, I don't remember, whatever they're called. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of vehicles. Uh, people... You know, that's that's why that's why you need somebody else to give you this presentation, because I like small, reliable, economical vehicles, and I really prefer a bicycle or to walk. So what are the finally we're going to get to the costs of operating a car. Here is where we would stop in the face to face class and take a look at the uh, cost of owning a car. and We pass it out. Now, you're going to do that on your own. Um, because it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's real quick. You just three six different items. A depreciation, finance charge, insurance, license vehicle, registration of taxes, maintenance, and gas and oil. 65% after five years is average. So you bought a $30,000 car. In three years, it's going to be worth about 15, 18, 16,000, depending on, you know, sometimes, uh, depending on the, uh, the desirability of the individual vehicle. Some vehicles hold their value more. But after five years, it could be worth $10,000. Depreciation is a huge, huge uh, cost of cars. Just the fact that it's sitting there in the driveway getting old. The finance charge, the interest on the loan, the insurance, the license, registration, taxes, the variable costs, gasoline, and then tires, maintenance, and repair. So you work through that. And remember that it's different for every different type of car. We use the average that comes out of AAA, and even that's kind of hinky, little crazy, screwy, the way they, they set it up. They show you an econo car, a medium-sized car, a large car, an SUV, a pickup truck, and then they sort of amalgamate them all into, into the average vehicle. And still, so realize some, some cost a lot more, some cost less. So do, if you want to stop right now and go through that, or you want to wait, it's up to you, all right? So according to the AAA, what is the average cost per mile to own and operate a medium-sized sedan in 2019? It was almost 62 cents per mile. Again, that's that's assuming 15,000 miles. Some people drive 20,000. It's different. Some people drive 10,000 or 5,000. It's, it's an average of, of, of 15,000 miles on a medium-sized vehicle. So that's at 15,000 miles per year, which is what a lot of people drive. That's over $9,000 per year per car. And many families have two cars. So if you did that for 40 years, you're looking at a substantial sum of money, folks. People don't realize how much the cars are, are costing us. We just take it for granted. We think of the monthly cost. That's what the dealerships and the car companies want to think of. Oh, it's only $400 a month. Uh, that's almost $5,000 a year. And that's just for the principal and the interest. What about the insurance? And what about the maintenance? And what about the... the uh? Now, in the late, in the 1980s, a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Pond, who's a very good financial writer, 
I don't think he's, I think he's re long since retired. But he did a study then about buying, and this was still, vehicles were not, they were just starting to get reliable in the 1980s. In the 70s, they were just absolutely unreliable. So, so you buy a new car every four years or buying a new car every 10 years and invest the difference, including the cost of maintaining an older car. And in 1980 dollars, you would have $350,000 after 40 years. Now that's $1980, double it for now, so we're, there's a $700,000. So my advice is to buy a reliable new car if you really want a new car or used car, more like it, and run it into the ground. Because you are not what you drive, but again, you might say, Piano, forget it, I wanna have that big money waster. I'm sorry, um, break my wallet. Um, Beautiful Mexican women. BMW. I want that Bavarian Motorwerken car. That's 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 actually made in South Carolina. Forbes actually says the number is closer to twelve thousand per year, but I they're probably concentrating on luxury cars. Cool. So how do you service your car? My advice: find an honest mechanic, stay loyal to them, because it's a it's a tough job, folks. Cars have become so incredibly complex that no one person can keep track of everything that's going on. You need tons of equipment just to test the darn thing. So uh, my advice, find a good mechanic. Here's a, a cute little website that uh, basically like rate my professor for car mechanics, the mechanics files. So um, check it out. Would you follow the maintenance schedule? I think it's sometimes I look at them, the maintenance schedule, you think, wait a minute. You're, there's not much to do at 15,000 miles. You know, you hope you change the oil, but, but uh, the vehicles are so much more reliable than they were just 30, 40 years ago, uh, that if you don't get 100,000 miles out of your vehicle, either you bought a vehicle that has a poor repair record and has a poor uh, a record for some major components, or you just didn't take care of it at all. You beat it, you know, changing the oil, you know, it's an important thing to do. If you get an electric vehicle, there's no servicing. <laughs> Well, the batteries are going to have to be replaced eventually. But that's one of the things they don't really discuss too much when they talk about electric vehicles because the truth is an electric vehicle is far less complicated than a than a gas-powered vehicle. Just far less moving, far fewer moving parts, no oil, no radiator. Um, the, the thing about the, the electric, especially Tesla, and now the, now the people are trying to catch up with Tesla, is they make them so incredibly complex just so that people will think it's cool i mean you walk up to a tesla and the and the door handles pop out why do you have to have that because it it sells i guess i like a key you know <laughs> no you have to have this thing that that it connects to the internet and downloads everything and people love it people love it i talk to people who own teslas because there's a lot of them around here and I ask him, what do you think? Oh, it's the best car ever. What did you own before that? Oh, I had a BMW. What did you have before that? Oh, I had a Toyota something or other. So I think I would think most of the people would be the people who pay, you know, 80 grand, 70 grand, whatever, $50,000 for, for a more upscale vehicle. And I'm sure, sure most of them are, but others are, no, no, I had to have this car. It is the best car. So we'll see what happens with that because everybody's following now. You know, I've heard, I've read from uh, industry people who say, you know, we're two or three or four years behind Tesla, which is, which is a, a big jump in the, in the industry. And so we'll see, we'll see. I mean, obviously, um, gas powered vehicles aren't going away anytime soon. 
it's going to take a while, but I'm really what I'm really hoping for, and I'm just talking off the cuff here because we're almost done, is uh, driverless cars. Because I don't know about you, but most people, if you if you ask people <laughs> if they're an excellent, good, average, fair, or poor driver, over eighty percent will say they're excellent or good. And then you drive on the freeways, and you realize lots of people are really <laughs> in denial about how good of drivers they are. Slide number 68. We're finished. The bottom line on cars, in my humble opinion, is to get a bicycle. Start walking. Get a scooter. Uh, motorcycle. Uh, get training. I love my bicycle. I have over 58,000 miles on my commuting bicycles when I would go to Southwestern College back and forth. And now that we're in we're in quarantine, so we're not driving or, or riding. Um, at 60 Oh, two cents a mile, that's you know, $35,000 in vehicle costs, plus tremendous help, help with my health care. Before I started riding, I was a paunchy 30-something male suffering from sedentary lifestyle disease. Now I'm just paunchy and a lot older. And don't forget the savings to the environment, difficult to estimate, but nevertheless do exist. Besides, the best part, that gym closed down a long time ago. When I come up Otay Lakes Road... Uh, towards the, uh, the the Bonita Vista area uh, schools, on the on the ocean side, on the on the west side was a gym, and there'd be people stuck in a car <laughs> waiting to get into the gym. It was that popular, and I would ride. It was so bizarre, and I'm riding past them. I said, "Why don't you just you know get on a bicycle?" Oh, it's only going to get worse. The traffic until it gets better. Once we have people out of their vehicles, their own vehicles, and being driven around. That's going to, well, we'll see. We don't know, right? We, we don't know exactly how it's going to work. But if you want to get from point A to point B, yeah, sure, we'll pick you up. This driverless car will pick you up. If you want to go only yourself, if you want to, you know, be yourself, just yourself, a solo ride, private vehicle, that's going to cost more. If you're willing to share the ride with two or three others, that's going to cost less. And so we'll finally have gotten people to carpool I don't know. We'll see. But definitely, uh, I hope I hope I didn't insult anyone too much <laughs> with my uh, my ramblings about cars. But it is it is the number one uh, culture obsession in our in our car oriented society. And things are going to change. We know they're going to change. We just don't know how we don't know how long it's going to take, but it's going to happen because it has to. Cars are, are, are killing, with, killing us with kindness. We don't get enough exercise. We spend way too much on them. And you talk to people who have basically gotten rid of their car and rent when they need a car, use public transit, ride a bicycle. They talk about the extra savings, is the extra disposable income. It's something to be, to, to be thought about, especially when you have your cash flow statement and can estimate <laughs> what would happen if you got rid of the monthly you know, vehicle costs and then put in how much it would cost you to take Uber or, or taxi or Lyft, uh, how many times you're going to do that, how often you're going to ride your bike, how often you're going to walk. Cool. Think about it. Think about it. Dear students, thank you for your indulgence and go out for a Sunday drive.